continue running the world the way we're doing it, um, there's going to be a lot of suffering for us, unfortunately, not for nature. I mean, we are nature as well, right? Yeah. But, but humanity sometimes is so arrogant on thinking that, um, that that we can control nature and nature is separate. And, 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 and you know, right now we're, we're seeing the consequences. Welcome to Who's Saving the Planet. I am your host, Tony Noto. With me is Lex Keith Haber, and joining us is an individual who is helping us build this website and helping us co-produce this episode. Welcome, Ian Deco. Hi, it's great to be here. I'm hailing from uh, uh, the West Coast out here in San Francisco, and I'm happy, happy to be part of the team. Yeah, well, happy to have you, man. Thanks Absolutely. Yeah, Ian, you're leading our dev charge to uh, help us remake our entire digital presence. And so this is a great crossover between not only are you our resident technologist and web developer, but you also are coming to us from San Francisco, which has been affected tremendously by the fires and the fire season out there that's been the worst one ever. Um, and we dig into that immediately with Diego because he also has been affected by these fires in a way that has been personally very adverse. Um, and it really goes to show that no matter who we are and where we are, we are all going to be living with climate change. And it is all of our responsibility to do what we can to fight for a better future. It touches luckily, all of us. Yeah. And luckily, Diego Saez Gill, our guest today, is building technology to make sure that our future is better and safer and hopefully one day free of these horrible fires. So folks like Ian don't have to walk outside and actually taste air. You're not supposed to do that <laughs> in where you live. So uh, Ian, what'd you think of this show? You helped us co-produce it, man. I think it was a, 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 great, a great add to, the, uh, to your uh, repertoire of, of characters that you brought on all your shows. Um, there's no running from climate change and uh, it's something that we need to address head on. Yeah, Pachama is a company that's uh, leading the way with some uh, groundbreaking technology. Um, it, was, it was really cool. I loved it. What'd you think? I thought it was great. So some of the things that Pachama is doing, um, they are using artificial intelligence and machine learning to better understand the life and well-being of forests from all across the world. And what, we, what the strict use purpose of that right now is just to certify when people are buying carbon credits that they're getting their money's worth and that those those that carbon is actually being sequestered in a faraway place that it has been promised to which is essentially what they bought and paid for this is such vital technology because unless people believe that those carbon credits are worth it they won't buy them and they won't invest in them not to mention the fact that they're necessarily not the, the forests themselves are not being preserved when they should. So they've identified such a, a technically sophisticated problem to solve, but one that is so simple in terms of its efficacy for creating this economic incentive structure that we're all going to need in order to be able to save the planet. It's this very, very elegant mixture of hard-nosed technology with brute force economics and he's got a handle on both and what a pleasure talking with him yeah don't take our word for it let's kick it off to diego all right here we go
Diego, welcome to Who's Saving the Planet. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here chatting with you guys. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And it's the perfect time because the world is literally on fire. Many countries are suffering from brush fires, wildfires, whatever word you want to use. Uh, here in the United States, California is being devastated, parts of Oregon, I'm sure other spots as well. You probably know better than us. Uh, and you yourself have recently suffered the consequences of that. Um, you hinted at the top of the show before we hit record that you're comfortable talking about it. I don't know if you want to tee off with that, but uh, I'd love to hear your story. And I think our listeners would love to hear it as well. If they could put a face to the tragedy that um, sure. is, is currently taking place. Yeah, yeah. Um, three years ago, uh, after many years living in big cities, I decided that I wanted to be close to nature. So I moved to the Santa Cruz Mountains and I, I bought a house in, in near the Big Basin Park, which is a beautiful redwood uh, forest uh, one hour south of San Francisco. And yeah, a month ago, it's going to be now, I, I believe four weeks ago, I was uh, uh, doing a camping trip in Oregon and I received notification that the fires were raging near my house, uh, got back and the house was gone to ashes. Um, and yeah, huge personal shock, um, uh, sad, losing all my belongings, everything yeah. I ever owned. Oh my goodness. Um, who, but, who notified you? How did you, how did you know? Like a neighbor yeah, or a loved one? No, an, a neighbor actually. So yeah. that those days I decided to be off Twitter and off, uh, you know, email and everything. So my, my, my neighbor sent me a text message and, and that's how I learned. Um, and yeah, uh, it's uh, meaningful and ironic at the same time, because I'm working on, on trying to help solve climate change and protect and restore forest. And, and now I'm a victim of that, which, you know, I'm trying to take it as a catalyst for me and for mm -hmm. others of their urgent uh, need to work on climate change. Climate change is not an abstract idea. It's happening right now and it's affecting uh, tens of thousands of people and it's going to affect tens of millions of people right so, yes uh, yeah. one you know, of them right here you are one of those people yeah exactly and i feel it as a as, as a blessing in a way as well you know it, it it gives me a sense of responsibility um not that i need more motivation for this but but um it makes it very personal very real yeah thank you for sorry. sharing that story um sometimes we see we're in New York right now and, and you see the stories and the, the images and it feels removed. It feels far away. I grew up in California. I grew up in San Diego and I remember the fires when I was growing up, you'd walk outside and the sky would be orange and it would be snowing ash and it felt otherworldly. And to yeah. see people living through that now, it's, it's so, it seems so far away, even though for so much of the world, it's right yeah. there. And, yeah. it's, and it's it's in your backyard or in your case it's completely changed what would be otherwise uh the normal course of your life and so yeah. you mentioned that you're treating this as a catalyst and as something to motivate you to go forward when you when you got there you posted something on um on twitter of picking up a, a book or a, a a remnant that was there can you tell us what yeah. it is that you found 
Yeah, this weekend I actually went to visit the Ashes, you know, uh, for the first time after I won the Day of the Fires, in which I, I was literally fighting with the fires. Um, but this time I went and the only recognizable thing that we were able to pick up uh, with my friends that went with me was a book, a history book I had. And in a very weird coincidence, the page that survived said uh, nature strikes um, in a very chilling message of what's wow. going on. Yeah. Nature uh, strikes. What was the book? It was a book called Concise History of the World by um, Nagio, by National Geographic. Wow. And um, yeah, it, one of the coincidences in which you're like, I don't know, a message from the universe uh, or just a coincidence, but it does feel like all that is going on is a big wake up call for humanity. Nature yeah. is giving us a big um, message that if we continue running the world the way we're doing it, um, there's going to be a lot of suffering for us, unfortunately, not for nature. I mean, we are nature as well, right? Yeah. But, but humanity sometimes is so arrogant and thinking that, um, that, that we can control nature and nature is separate. And, 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 and you know, right now we're, we're seeing the consequences. This whole year to... has been, yeah, sorry, Lex, but I just got to say this whole year has been nature pointing out the folly of man. Yeah. Like assuming you don't believe that, you know, viruses are made in a lab or, yeah. you know, that forest fires are just, you know, it's not just accidents that happen, you know, it's no, it's, it's, it, it's because of climate change and it's because of the way we treat nature. It's that ongoing narrative all year, but I don't know, I think we're going to segue into the technology that you wield or that we all wield, but you in particular to help yeah. solve a problem. So I think that's a good segue. Well, I'm, I want to build on that segue because I yeah, think something else that you point out is that it is, it's somewhat indiscriminate at a point where if there was one person who did not need a lesson from nature to pay attention, Jago, it, certainly you'd be <laughs> yeah. near the top of the list. And so it goes to show that of the people that we have the opportunity to speak to from all over the world, the one thing that we all have in common is this home, this planet that we're in. And whether it's an activist in Africa or whether it's somebody working in green finance in New York or somebody yeah. building technology in California, this brings us all together around yeah. this shared goal. And so there yeah. is some power to that where nothing else does this quite the same way climate change does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, unfortunately, we are going to see more of this. Uh, yeah. and, and I do hope that our generation has, in a way, we're, 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 we're going to be paying the bills of previous generations, but hopefully we can make the right decisions in the next two, three decades to leave a better planet for future generations so that they don't have to pay our bills, right? right. Um, and it is, I agree 100% with you, with all coming together. I, I'm trying to be very careful on my language, on not pointing fingers. It's so easy to fall into them, uh, right, and, and into into enemy thinking. But it's about all coming together and taking responsibility and, and doing something about it. Yeah. Well, you didn't need. Um, you said you didn't need tragedy to sort of stir you into the uh, the right direction to make a difference. So, what inspired uh, Pachima? Yeah, happy to tell you about that because in a way I was part of the problem as well. I was uh, building a company before that we were making smart suitcases, uh, suitcases that you could track with GPS and 3G, which was- a Was it away? 
No, it was Blue Smart. Uh, okay. But you know, we we started before away and kind of you know began that uh, you know industry of smart luggage. That idea came after I lost a suitcase, and I was like, how come? You know, I cannot track my. <laughs> I live. I live not that far from LaGuardia, and let me tell you, they could really, they could have yeah. used what you were building. Yeah, so it was, you know, kind of like one of these useful ideas, but then from a coffee conversation with a friend, hey, dude, let's build that suitcase with a tracker. I was all of a sudden in a factory in China, mass producing tens of thousands of plastic products, polluting the environment, products that were going to end up in garbage fields. And at, at some and seeing the pollution of Beijing and Shenzhen firsthand, and then seeing in the hyper consumerism in New York City where I was living at the time. And then I went to South America and I saw deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. There was a point in which I couldn't make my I couldn't look away anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm part of a system that is going to destroy the planet. And actually the, the, that visit to the Amazon rainforest in which with my brothers, we stay with some indigenous communities there. Um, that was a powerful experience that made me uh, realize that I needed to put all my efforts to, to, to try to be on the side of the solutions and not the problems. Well, which indigenous communities did you hang out with? And how do you, how do you just, did you just, did you know somebody there? Or did you just like, we're just going to go and just knock on no, that was, yeah, we were in Madre de Dios, which is in the South Amazon in Peru. Okay. Uh, and we arrived there. We did a road trip with my brothers. So I exited that company. I decided to step away from that company. And the first thing I did was going on vacation to Argentina. And I had two brothers and I told my brothers, guys, let's go on a trip somewhere. I need to clear my mind. I'm very confused about life. And one of my brothers told me, dude, how about we go to the Amazon? And I said, wow. where? And we were like, let's just take a car and let's go north because we were in the north of Argentina. And we crossed Bolivia driving and we entered Peru and we just started asking, how do we get to the Amazon? And asking town by town, we ended up in a, a community in, in the Amazon. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. a, I imagine when you, when you showed up, they're like, what why are you here what is your what is your th what did you answer what was the first thing that you yeah, said yeah well like, that we wanted to meet their culture um and and yeah they were super super welcoming you know people people in in the amazon super super nice super welcoming so i think we've we always try to identify the problem uh, uh, that a company is trying to solve and i think we've done that both in terms of the microcosm of personally the problem affecting your life and the macrocosm of the global industrial supply chain that we're dealing with right now and the massive amount of waste that it's thrown off. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Pachava. What specifically is it that you've built? Yeah. So Pachama is a marketplace and a technology platform that helps companies that want to or need to compensate their carbon emissions to connect with other people that are doing reforestation or forest conservation, and that in a way are capturing carbon from the atmosphere. So there's a system called carbon credits or carbon offsets by mm -hmm. which people who are helping remove carbon from the atmosphere can receive carbon credits that then can be used to finance their work. And these credits can be purchased by companies that are on the way of decarbonizing their operations but in the meantime they can achieve carbon neutrality or net zero 
by purchasing current credits, right? So, and companies today like Microsoft and Google and Disney and Delta Airlines are tapping into this carbon market to compensate their emissions. And it's a really good way to drive financing, to start reforestation and forest conservation efforts. Now, the problem in this market was that these projects are in Peru and in Brazil, in Indonesia, in Canada, in different parts of the world. The buyers are in New York and London and Seattle. And there was a difficulty for the parties to connect, but it was a difficulty for the parties to trust each other because you were in a way having to trust that a guy in Brazil was going to be planting trees or protecting trees. Well, we introduced this idea of remote sensing monitoring and the fact that today with satellite images, you can see what's going on. And you can, using algorithms, we can in real time detect what's going on and give trust to the system. So that's what we do. We, we connect the parties and we verify and monitor these efforts using satellite images and AI. So the carbon credit, I think that it's really important to break that down because I myself just recently uh, I'm writing a, p a piece on this for the website because, you know, you got to not just do what you say you're going to do, but do it. And we're creating sure. a lot of content for who's saving the planet. So I briefly learned about this and um, there's some big problems in it from what I've understood. And I'm hoping you can help flesh it out. Some of them are, like you said, these companies are very far away from the places that they're supposed to be putting their money in. And yeah. so there's a huge incentive from a marketing perspective for them to say, we're okay for the environment. And the easiest path of re, uh, to do that is to basically throw money at the problem. Mm -hmm. There's lots of more difficult ways like sacrificing or changing your supply chain or changing the, your behavior structure. But the quickest way is the money, which is not necessarily a bad thing in and out itself, mm -hmm. but it's imperfect. And so some of the ways that it's imperfect is that let's say you have a plot of land in Brazil and you are saying, we won't cut down these trees. And by not cutting down these trees, we'll take your money and the money we could have used by selling this lumber, we won't do it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people say that and they will say that for two or three or four companies. So they're now getting paid two or three or four times over, in which case mm -hmm. we think we have reduced X amount of carbon or we've, we've, we've kept that, that trees there that are going to pull that carbon out of the world. But actually, it's a third of that or a quarter of that. Yeah. Let's take on each of these issues one by one, um, yeah. which, which are real issues uh, and, and, and it's just about bringing clarity to them. The first one, uh, yeah, there's this, this, this concern of uh, paying for your sins, right? And getting away with continuing polluting, right? Well, the way we think about it is companies should put a carbon price in their operations and they should pay that internal carbon price, which at some point is going to be a tax, and in some places already is a carbon tax. And that becomes an internal incentive, mm -hmm. economic incentive to move away from carbon, right? Um, so companies should be setting an internal carbon price, purchasing carbon credits to compensate the existing emissions, and then doing all they can to move away from carbon. Now, there is another thing. Companies now, Google and Microsoft are setting a new standard, which I think is very important, which is you should take care of all the carbon that you put in the atmosphere in the past. Even if today you stop emitting carbon, well, guess what? During the last two decades, you've been emitting carbon. It's garbage that you put in the atmosphere. You should take responsibility for that. So how do you do it? 
by removing that carbon through carbon removal credits, right? By supporting reforestation that will remove the carbon that you put in the atmosphere. So that is to say that even if we, by a magic spell tomorrow, stop burning fossil fuels, we still should keep companies accountable and develop efficient mechanisms to help these companies act on removing the carbon that is on the atmosphere, which we need to um, tackle climate change. Yeah, um, that, in that internal structure is so important because if there's not a price for carbon, you're not completely aware of it. And whether it's internal or whether it's legislative is something that we as a people will figure out over the next 10 years. Yeah. <clears throat> And the example that I gave of selling the same sort of plot of land twice is one of many examples of how this system can can break down, whether yeah. if you're planting mangrove forests or mango groves off the coast of Indonesia, are you actually doing that? Is it as effective as it is reducing the carbon? So it's really hard to understand what it is sort of like a financial transaction that should have transparency on both sides and then enter stage left, Pachima, to come and yeah. apply science and mathematics and, and technology to it. So tell us then what, how you guys have come in and identified this problem and how you're solving it. Yeah, so the second, the second problem that you mentioned, which is a problem of sometimes they call it double accounting or mm -hmm. um, you know, lack of additionality of a project. We think at the end of the day is an information problem, it's a data problem. And uh, if we can provide with transparent information that is auditable and that uh, in a way uh, is cross uh, functional between different sectors. Um, this problem can be solved and it is being solved, not only by us, but by other people on the market as well, right? Um, what we are trying to do is number one, verify that the projects are doing what they're saying they're doing, monitor over time that they will continue to do so and keep them accountable. Similarly to when you go to a store and there's a camera and say, smile, we're filming you. Well, here we're saying, smile, we are looking at you from space and, and we're looking whether you're planting trees or not cutting down your trees, right? Right. And that, wow. just, that, that effect is already psychologically an accountability mechanism for people on the ground, right? Uh, but we're also re you know, reporting on that on a, on a monthly basis. And and then finally, yes, we are checking on all the public registries to make sure that projects are listed and sold once. And, and that is the case with the majority of the projects today. There, there were a bad, few bad players in the past and we're trying to weed out the bad players, but by the most part is a market that is working well. Mm -hmm. It's just about giving that assurance to the public with all our open tools. So how, Forgive me, because while I have the opportunity to speak with people who are developing these things, I myself do not know exactly what machine learning and artificial intelligence is, but for being able to talk about it at a cocktail party. So take us under the hood a little bit. How are you actually doing this? Yes. So the same way that Facebook knows that your face is you and it's very creepy <laughs> to, to, to see, you know, like how do they know that that photo is me, right? Yeah. Is there is these algorithms that basically train with a lot of data that get ingested a lot of data. And then similarly to a kid that learns to identify patterns, these algorithms can learn to identify patterns, right? So that is the field of computer vision, which is having an algorithm analyzing an image and, 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 and having insights from looking at an image. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. We apply those algorithms to satellite images of forest. And with that, we can determine the carbon storage of a forest by looking at the shape and the color of the trees on the images, right? Mm -hmm. uh, then we use other techniques to detect changes on the, on the canopy power, right? So we, we see that there was a tree here, now there's no tree, and the algorithm can paint a color on that map and make a, a, a map of, of changes on the canopy color. Where are we seeing the most trees go down? The Amazon rainforest, unfortunately, is losing uh, canopy cover at an astonishing rate. You know, we're we're clear-cutting the Amazon rainforest, unfortunately, but we're also seeing a lot of forest loss in Indonesia, in Borneo, in Congo, um, and even in North America, unfortunately, in the United States, in California, in the East, uh, in the East Coast, in Canada, in Alaska, we're seeing deforestation still happening. And yeah, we lost already half of the forest that used to cover the planet, by the way. Yeah. Um, so I want to I want to stay with the, the the solution for a second and provide an analogy that perhaps is a little bit antiquated, but maybe is similar to or can help explain what you're doing. So um, the much derided rating agencies that would take a look at, let's say, a set of, of assets of like you know, famously mortgage backed securities, but just stuff. And they would say, mm -hmm. we'll rate this A, B, C or D. And then those ratings would get used by financial institutions or people that were working in the markets to say, is this a good investment or is this a bad investment? And then you get more transparency in the market by doing that. Now, those rating agencies are not great, but the, th the philosophy yeah. is that if they are perfect, you can make good decisions about where to invest your money at yeah. big scale. Would you say that what you're doing is trying to provide a similar sort of transparency and certification process to these carbon offsets so that if a company like Microsoft is saying, not only do I want to offset it, I want to guarantee, or as close to a guarantee as I can get, that I'm getting my carbon's worth of money. That's really the market that you're servicing. That's exactly right. Yes, okay. we are trying to bring that assurance through data. And, and we are scoring, so what we're doing today is we're going to all the existing projects. We are inviting them to list on our platform. We're analyzing them with our satellite images and scoring them on a lot of different variables based on data. And in the future, we hope to help originate new projects and have a scoring from the beginning mm -hmm. about different qualities of these projects because also not all projects are gonna be the same. There's gonna be projects that have more biodiversity, right? In the Amazon where you have so many different species. Right. Other projects are going to be just faster at uh, capturing carbon, like a plantation of eucalyptus tree. It might not have that much diversity, but it will capture a lot of carbon in a, in a short period of time. Other projects might generate a lot of jobs, whereas other projects might be just natural regeneration. So there's a lot of different variables and you want to be able to provide transparency about that. And then, yeah. risk, you know, there's places where there's more risk of fire there's places with less risk of fire, right? So with a data-driven approach, you want to make this a very transparent uh, asset that can be then uh, invested with a lot of certainty. Okay, we, we've gotten two of, the th two of the three ways there. We've identified the problem and we've isolated your solution to it, which is awesome. The third part is my favorite part because who knows what's going to come next, which is like the, the viability of it. How do we make Pachama a household name? How do we make this company something that 
even, you know, I don't need to be Microsoft or whatnot. I can be Tony, Ian and Lex and we can each say, I want to offset my carbon footprint and make sure it goes somewhere. And like, what are your threats as well? What's going to be standing in the way of this? And then the third part would be, where is your financial incentive and how do you get these other companies to instill in their sense of financial incentive? So yeah. like with the Moody's and Fitch example, they get paid by the big financial institutions to rate things. Yeah. And we don't need to start there, but I guess since I segued there to it, like, is that, is that where, is that where you guys are creating this business model is getting paid by the companies to certify their carbon credits? Yeah, yeah, something like that. So we're, we're facilitating these transactions. We are taking a commission of these transactions. And mm -hmm. in the future, we think that we can get paid for our data reporting by the buyers. And if we help originate new projects and certify new projects, we can help, we can be paid for our data by the sellers. Uh, so th th that is to say that there are a lot of ways to, uh, you know, uh, get value back if you provide value to this, to this system, right? And right now we're exploring all those avenues, right? Absolutely. Uh, we always want to come up with a, with a business model that is aligned with the mission of helping restore forests to solve climate change, right? Uh, to me, that is what every company in the 20, 21st century has to do is to have a business model that is really aligned with the mission, right? And to walk away from business models that are not aligned with the mission. Um, and, and then in terms of what to do to make us a household name, uh, look, we try to, as opposed to other Silicon Valley companies that go out and say, we're going to disrupt this market, replacing all the players. We are saying we want to bring innovation to an existing market, being very respectful of the players that have been there in the past, working with a lot of good intentions. And we want to provide tools to make this market more efficient and to expand this market, frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, and if the market gets expanded, then we all benefit, right? And uh, so we are collaborating with uh, organizations that could be looked at as competitors for us, but that actually we're bringing something new that they can use, right? New tools, new technologies that they can use. And, and then we have to earn our credibility by building good products, shipping good products, shipping good data. And that takes time, right? So we are taking the long view of uh, knowing that success doesn't happen overnight, that an overnight success takes 10 years and we haven't even turned two years old yet as a company, right? So we're all willing to, to take that decade to, to, to build, improve and, and, and deliver on a promise, right? So yeah. you left a cushy, a lot of people would have looked at a, the briefcase company, uh, a smart luggage company, as kind of a cushy gig because obviously, you know, something like Away is the company that emerged probably because you left the space because maybe who knows, the company you were working on may have surpassed that. So that, that says a lot that you kind of left the sexy startup life to maybe go in an, an, with another startup, but one that's typically you know, not as sexy, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, I that, disagree that, with that. I think tree data, and I think that is as sexy as it comes. I am all in. We've on talked about how forestation. So that sort of thing turns continue, Lex on on this yeah, podcast. Continue your question, <laughs> but there's 
strong advocate for trees being sexy. Well, in a, in a country that we're, we're, we're not in the Paris Climate Accord, it's not sexy to some people in this country. Yeah. And uh, can't speak so I, for everybody. I know, unfortunately. But um, I have to ask, though, I mean, th there's got to be a, a part of the plan to grow yeah. has to be overseas, right? Because in a world where most countries are in the Paris Climate Accord, you, you, there must be opportunities to say, well, we can take our product and our technology to companies in all these different countries that want to offset their uh, carbon yeah. emissions. Not the United States at the moment, but you know what I mean? Like, you, like is, there part, is that part of the strategy and the viability? Yeah, so in, in terms of the first part of the question, yes, I, I left that other company. I was feeling I was having kind of like a purpose crisis in my life. I was like, well, what, you know, what am I doing all this effort for, right? And, 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 I, and I jumped into the void of, of not knowing how I, I could help, uh, you know, nature and the planet with a new business model. Now, in, in, you know, it's starting to look sexy to your point, uh, ex, uh, uh, hopefully, because, you know, we're closing investors and customers. But when I started the company, it was a scary moment of like, okay, I want to, you know, are, am I going to be looked at as someone naive or, you know, am I going to be looked at as, as an idealist that thinks that with tech, we can, we can solve climate change? But, but I, I did the jump. And now, yes, I'm super happy to see that it's becoming a sexy category in Silicon Valley, uh, the category of climate tech, now they talk, they, they call it, you know? Climate tech. Um, now to your second question, Tony, um, yes, the United States, you know, I think this is gonna be a, a polemic uh, statement, but I think a Trump, Trump has helped the climate cause by making a lot of people saying like, oh shit, the federal government is <laughs> not gonna do anything about it. So we have to do right. something about it. So lots of corporations have started to step up their climate uh, commitments in a big way during this Trump uh, administration. Of course, I don't want Trump to be reelected. Don't get me wrong. You know, right. <laughs> that would be terrible for the planet. But I, I, that's what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that sometimes doesn't matter what governments do. There is a movement on corporations and on NGOs and all institutions that move in parallel to the, to the, whatever the government is doing. States as well, states and cities. They are stepping up. California is stepping up big time, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, we are looking at Europe and Asia and, and South America, but we continue to focus on the United States because we think that the U.S., even though it's one of the biggest polluters, can also be one of the drivers of the biggest solutions to climate change. Well, I have a question real quick as a follow-up to that, Lex. Uh, I'm curious because a lot of his supporters, Trump supporters, would echo what he says about uh, cleaning up these forest cities. Hmm. And he, of course, he goes in a roundabout way to uh, explain that. But what he's essentially talking about is forest management as a way to offset fires and, 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 the, and the likes. Yeah. Um, and, 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 but that confuses people when it comes from him, but it is an actual thing. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about how Pachama works in, um, I guess deferring the di discerning the difference between um, deforestation and forest management and and what he's talking about because a lot of his supporters will echo that. Well, I mean the problem in politics in America and in the world right now is that everything is so polarized that that you cannot have a nuanced conversation uh, with with science. And, right. And I think that it is true. Yeah, we need better forest management. And I think that. Uh, 
uh, we suppress fires, which used to occur a lot in California, that then all that suppression leads to fuel accumulation that leads to bigger fires. That is true, but it is also true that higher temperatures lead to more fire starting and the correlation is actually more um, close to climate change than to forest management. But the two things are problems, right? So I think that we have to trust in science and we have to look at, at data and we have to plan based on, based on, on, on scientific, um, intelligent uh, ways of looking at the world and not let ideology basically influence this type of discussions. These are discussions that in which if we don't listen to science, we are going to continue to see the problems of that, the consequences in our lives, right? Absolutely. And just to point out, while the forests are in California, over, over 87% of them are federally owned lands. And so if he wants to clean them up, the federal government should 100% do that. Blaming California for it makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, that was me being a little bit triggered. Yeah. <laughs> After the Wait debates minute, this you... week, I'm a, a tiny bit on edge. You mean but, um, encroaching fascism doesn't get you on edge, Lex? <laughs> indeed it does. Uh, but Diego, I think your point is really good. And I, I remember distinctly when I was a younger year, when I was working in politics briefly, I, was, I went to um, the Hill for a hearing on climate change. And this was back in 2009, 2010. So a little bit earlier on. And there was a, a debate between a climate scientist and she was explaining the fact that climate change was a huge issue, and this was still a little bit early on. And then someone in the audience after the uh, after her, her, it wasn't a debate, it was a presentation. Someone stood up and said, that was fantastic. You're so smart. You're so erudite. You have a wonderful way with explaining these things. Will you come on to the panel that I'm hosting and, uh, and be the climate activist and then debate this with somebody who has opposing opinions? And she said, mm. no, of course I won't. And the guy said, well, why? You're so reasonable. You're so, you're, you're so understanding. And she said, because it's not a debate. I'm not going to give virtue to the idea that there's science and then give equal weight to not science as though these things are equivalent. And right. I think we forgot that somehow where it's like, where there's, we're giving enough oxygen for like not science to be like a, both sides of the story thing where it's not, it's just, it's just science. And then, and then the other thing, not something that should be given a, a fair shake at this. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's sad to see how ideology has you know, taken over, you know, both extremes, right? The way forward is if we all come together with, you know, intellectual honesty and humility and yeah. really, you know, realize that these problems are going to be happy to solve with the best of our human abilities. Yeah. Science is, is the best that we came up on how to understand the physical world, right? And yeah. And there's nothing more unifying than a, than a common enemy, although that's, generally not a good thing it is it we've seen all the different disparate elements of environmentalism progressivism the social movements moderate democrats what have you everyone who's not trump has more unified than they've ever been at least yeah. in the last 15 20 years of politics so as long as we keep that motivation going and the democrat or the people if they do win don't eat themselves perhaps we will find a, a cause for a, an optimistic future um, Ian, I wanted to give you a chance to jump in here too. Do you have any uh, uh, questions for Diego or thoughts? Um, I wanted to touch on uh, the name of the company. Uh, what does that come from and, and what does it mean to, to you? That was my question. Awesome. Great question, Ian. 
Yeah, no, thank you a for cute that. name. So Pachama is in honor to Pachamama. Pachamama is the goddess of Mother Earth for the indigenous people of South America. Uh, my ascendants, I, I, I am partly descendant of the Inca people of South America. And my ancestors, they believed, and they still believe in South America, that the earth is, has a spirit. That the earth has a spirit that protects us, that nourishes, that creates regeneration. Which, you know, in a funny way, science now has Gaia hypothesis, which is a very similar idea that the earth is one single organism, right? Um, and, and, you know, in South America, we, we honor Pachamama uh, in August, giving an, uh, an offering or a payment, we call it, which, you know, I, I, I think is a good metaphor for carbon credits, right? It's like it's offering a payment back to the earth, right? Uh, in gratefulness for everything she gives us. Um, and yeah, we wanted to honor that, that idea. Pachamama. Beautiful. And if earth is one single organism, I hope humanity isn't just like a rash. Yeah. Hopefully we figure out how to right. figure out how to fit our place in this whole I thing. I think we're the invasive species. I feel we're a wild bet by 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 Gaia. Uh, uh, Gaia said, "Well, let's let's see what happens if we give a lot of intelligence to a monkey. Uh, <laughs> you know, it can either you know help us well, expand to other planets, or it can destroy everything. And I think we're you know we're still the judges out there. Not enough intelligence, Gaia." I think that there is there are plenty of chimps out there that are <laughs> heard a little bit too much too soon. Maybe they could have petered that out after a while. I have um, a question for you, Diego. I have to, get, you know, we should get to the the root of this. I I didn't know that your heritage is Incan. Is is that at all like what drives you? Is, is part of your heritage? I mean, considering, the, you know, the, it's it's tied to into to the native land, and mm -hmm. now your mission is to help save that land from the in, in industry mm -hmm. that contributed to its demise or is contributing to in its demise. In a way, yes. In a way, you know, those trips to, the, to South America did reconnect me a lot with my ancestors from South America and the wisdom that they have that is so timely today, which is this wisdom of, of, of living in, uh, not only in connection with the earth, but honoring the earth and everything that is uh, surrounding us, you know, for them, the animals were brothers and sisters, right? The trees were, were, were wise beings, right? That they, that they honor. And I think that this cosmovision, this worldview is, is, uh, needs to be voiced out, right? So I do sometimes feel like, well, maybe I'm, you know, I, I have to honor my ancestry on that front by, by speaking about these things in a place where sometimes we talk a lot about technology and engineering, but it's also about the spiritual aspect of, of, of how do we perceive the world as a, as a machine, as a source of resources to be exploited, or as a sacred, alive, spiritual place that we are part of, right? From, yeah. from a capitalist perspective, some might say that uh, carbon credits are a necessity. Are there people in the indigenous communities that, that say the opposite, that, that selling a part of the forest is wrong? And how do you respond to that? Good point. Yes, uh, it is tricky to think that you're putting an economic value to, to something sacred as a forest for indigenous people. In fact, many indigenous people living in the Amazon don't even understand the concept of money, right? Um, and, and, and I see this as a transition, as a bridge, right? It's hopefully as a bridge to, to 
giving value to nature um, for the inherent reason that this is, is, is alive and is part of, of, of our home, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, carbon credits are just a, a temporary mechanism that hopefully will help us turn around the ship during the next two decades. Right. So one, one last question for you, because we want to be respectful of the generous time you've given us now. Um, but I guess two. One would be for people that are in a similar spot that you were in. Yeah. So when you were saying, I'm not happy now with creating something that feels less purposeful, but yeah. didn't know what comes next. What advice would you give somebody who's, because I feel like a lot of people feel that right now and they want something that they're motivated by their purpose and their passion, but it's really scary to take yeah. that leap. So what advice would you give them? Well, the first thing I would say is that you can reinvent your life. Um, and I think that probably many people need to reinvent their life now with coronavirus. So many people have lost their jobs. So, so many people realize that they don't like their jobs or, and, and then, yeah, there's many people who realize like, gee, there's all these problems happening in the world and I'm working on making people click on ads, right? Uh, so you can reinvent your life. You can, like many people now don't remember that I was a guy of the suitcases today, you know, like you can, you can, you are the owner of your personal narrative and you can tomorrow go out to the world and say, today I'm doing something different and this is what I'm doing, right? So believe that you can, you can take ownership of the narrative of your life and steer it as a, as a ship, right? And then secondly, Diego, you... I would say, take time yeah. to reflect. Uh, I took about a year, a sabbatical year, and I feel privileged that I was able to do it, but I took a year in which I was not committing to, I, I was doing some gigs, you know, some consulting here and there and just to pay the bills, but I was taking a year to just reflect deeply. And during that year, I did a bunch of things. I did a meditation retreat with some Buddhist monks learning to meditate. I went to the Amazon rainforest. Uh, by the way, in the Amazon rainforest, I was given access to ayahuasca, which is a sacred plant. And there are many sacred plants that help you go inside of yourself and explore your soul. I, I spend a lot of time walking in nature, just, you know, to, to quiet my mind and listen to my soul. Yeah, so I think that all these are very uh, useful things to do if you want to, you know, uh, make a change in your life. You're the Yoda, man. <laughs> I, I got to follow your lead. Thank you. I had Yodas in my life, fortunately. Um, and, and yeah, there are many people ready there to, to, to teachers and unexpected places to, 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 to help along the way. Yeah, that's a wonderful lesson to take. And um, we try to live that too. Our, our little band of, of climate pirates over here is generally a consortium of people that are in different stages of trying to figure out what comes next. And so we do all have that in common where we, we believe in something and we're trying to make it manifest and trying to do it in the right way. Um, last question. What makes you most hopeful about the future? You know, I feel it in my guts. I feel, uh, I, so I cannot explain it with rational reason sometimes, but I feel that, you know, the other day I saw uh, a picture that I'm, um, a neighbor posted in which among the uh, ashes of the fires of California, there were sprouts of redwoods already popping up, right? So I think it is inherent to life, uh, hope, 
right? In the midst of ashes, still, you know, we, we sprout and, and we look at the possibility of, of a better future, right? So um, I feel it on my gut, on, on, on the source of life, aliveness inside of me that we can figure this out and it's not going to be easy. Um, and, but we have to, we have to try. Amen. Got to try. There's no, <laughs> there's no not trying at this point. You either try or you give up. So we better try. There is no try. Yeah, there's do <laughs> or there's do doing. not. Yes, yeah, exactly. We got to do it. Um, and your timing. I mean, guy is talking to you, man. Nobody's traveling now. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Do not go into luggage. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Um, Diego, All thank right, you man. so much. Thank you so much for coming, for talking to us. And uh, this has been fantastic. We hope to keep in touch with you. Let us know on this journey, how it goes, um, and anything we can do to be helpful, to be resourceful, 100%. Thank you so much, guys. Keep up the good work on the podcast. That was our conversation with Diego Saez-Gill, the CEO and founder of Pachama. Fascinating stuff, Lex and Ian. Yeah, that was great. And I think he really brings a human aspect to what is a really complicated technology stack. Absolutely. And uh, for the record, uh, we are pushing forward with a revamped whosavingtheplanet.com courtesy to Ian uh, for helping us get there. And uh, we invite all of our listeners who by now we have a, a loyal coterie of Who's Saving the Planet, Planeteers, who listen each week and tune in, uh, continue to tune in. We appreciate you following us. And please rate our episodes. Uh, we would love some feedback. We would love our five-star ratings. I think it's five stars. Whatever the max is, please click the max. Uh, if five you stars like would be fantastic, but we, <laughs> we don't want to tip the scales. All of your ratings and reviews are great. We listen to them. We read them. So please don't be shy. Is it four? It's four stars? No, five would, five would be excellent. Oh, okay, great. Five stars, folks. And uh, join us next week. Same Who's Saving the Planet time, same Who's Saving the Planet channel on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Spotify. also a big one out there. Yep. All right. We will see you next week. 